Dear congregation, this afternoon I wish to look once again at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, where Paul says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. So have you ever been blamed for doing something wrong? That's what we wish to consider here this afternoon, looking at this text, that we're told here to become without fault as children of God. But we are often blamed because we have faults. We do things wrong. But being without blame, without fault, means no one can blame you for anything. You have not done anything that is worthy or that can be found to blame you. And Paul wrote something similar also in the Ephesians, as we read from Ephesians 1 and verse 4, where it says, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And so we, we learn from Scripture that God chooses and saves His people so that you will become without fault, without blame, not just before other people, but before God. That even God who is holy finds no blame, no fault in you anymore. So what does that mean? And why are we called to this? And where do we see this used in Scripture? So that's what we wish to look at here this afternoon. And our theme is becoming without fault. Becoming without fault. And Peter, or sorry, Paul says here in Philippians 2 that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault. And so, as we were looking at this passage, if we are blameless in our conduct and if we are harmless in our character, then it can be said that we are without fault. There's nothing in our character, nothing in our conduct in our heart that, that can be seen that is wrong. And then we cannot be blamed for doing anything wrong. So being without fault means that we would be holy, that we would be pure, free of any moral imperfections. And the idea of being holy in Scripture really means to be separate from anything that is not, separate from all impurity, separate from all evil, and from all faults. And so when you read about holiness in the Scriptures, the, the idea always has, or it always carries the idea of, of separation. In the Old Testament, it really focused on a physical separation, a physical uh, setting apart. And it's a, the outward sense. Because the Old Testament is, is filled with the symbolism, with the pictures of what the New Testament was, would reveal in a spiritual sense. The New Testament really shows the holiness in the spiritual sense, the spiritual separation. So the first question is, that we need to see is, if we are called as children of God to become without fault, we must first look at God. How is God without fault? How does this apply to God? That's our first thought. How does this apply to God? If you read the Old Testament, you'll, you'll notice how often it really speaks of the, of the holiness of God. 
that He is the supremely holy one. God is absolutely holy, absolutely blameless and without fault. We even see similar words used in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 22. It says, as for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to those who trust in Him. And that word perfect there, it means blameless. There is nothing amiss because God is entirely holy and without fault. Isaiah 57:15 also says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the, contra- the heart of the contrite ones. And just in this passage, we see something amazing. Because here God calls Himself the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And in the very next sentence, He says He dwells with those who have a contrite and a humble heart, a humble spirit. He dwells with humbled sinners. How is that possible? How can that holy God dwell with those sinful people? Well, in Philippians, Peter, Paul, Paul is saying that we are to become blameless and harmless children of this holy and eternal God, to be without fault like Him. And so then we need to think about who God is. What does it mean that God is holy and without fault? And when we think of the, the term holy, meaning separation, that God is entirely separate from fault, And first we can see how God is separated from even the creation that He made. We read how God inhabits eternity. He exists in eternity. But in Genesis 1 verse 1, He said, In the beginning, God created. So God existed before the creation. So He's not part of His creation in in the sense that He is not created, but He exists in eternity. He exists outside of creation. And God will continue to exist once this creation has been destroyed and burned with fire, as Peter says. And after the new heavens and the new earth are made, God will remain the same. Last week we considered how how, how the new telescope can see 13.6 billion light years into the stars and galaxies in space. But God created this all, and He exists If you could say beyond that, He exists in eternity, separate from it. And Isaiah 40 says that He he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. It it says that He he measures the heavens. He says He he weighs them. He calls all those stars by, by name. He weighs the dust of the earth. And He considers all the nations of this earth as nothing but a drop in the bucket. And so we see that God is infinite. He is eternal. He is he's separate from creation in that sense. This world runs in time. There was a beginning, there will be an end, and we always live by time. But God is in eternity, outside of time. And we see that daily, that we live in time because people are born daily, and, and people are taken out of this life by death daily. And the moment that you die, your soul will enter. It will leave this time and enter eternity. Now we are changing. 
But after we die, we will enter eternity where change is no longer possible. And so this creation is always changing, but God is unchanging. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change, and therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Another distinction between God and His creation is that God is spiritual, and this world is physical. And Jesus said that we must learn to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so we realize with 1 Samuel 2 that there is no one holy like the Lord. He says, for there is none beside you. There is only one holy, eternal God. And because God is separate from creation, we must also recognize that God is entirely separate from sin. God is entirely blameless. God is entirely faultless, unpolluted by evil, and separated from it. Sin is something that entered this creation. And so sin is a transgression of the law. It's, it's, it's a breaking of His perfect law. You remember we said God was perfect. His laws, we sang too, are, are perfect, but sin is breaking that perfect law. Sin is missing the mark. It's not following that law perfectly. And so sin is a blemish. Sin is a, sin is a fault. But God is perfect and without fault. John also says how God is light and in Him is no darkness. And light and darkness cannot coexist, we know. If God is all light, there is no no darkness at all, no evil, no sin, but only pure holiness and righteousness and truth. And so we see that there, there is no possible way that God can coexist with sin any more than light can coexist with darkness. And Habakkuk 1 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. His absolute holiness, his absolute blamelessness means that in his justice he cannot tolerate sin. That means God must punish all sin completely to its fullest extent. And maybe you'll ask a question to Habakkuk there also asks, why does this world still exist with all its sin then? How does God continue to allow it still to happen? Well, the reason is we saw a few weeks ago that He is delivering His people out of this world, and He's still giving time in this creation for sinners to be saved, to call upon the Lord, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But God hates all sin and must punish all sin. And so because God is separate from sin, that means that we cannot approach God in our sin because then we will will find fault with us and to be consumed immediately if we try in our own way to enter heaven. And so Hebrews 2 says we cannot approach God without holiness. He says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so that's how we see how it applies to God, that He's entirely faultless, entirely separate from sin. There's something else for us to consider in the Old Testament we look at secondly is how it applies to Israel. Because Israel was considered the the children of God, the the nation of God in the Old Testament. And, And this is why God emphasized His holiness and the holiness of His people in the Old Testament. And that was done by emphasizing a separation. 
See, God prescribed very specific ways and rules and regulations for His people how to live. They were to be a separate nation. They were to worship Him only in the specific ways that God had set out for them to worship Him through the tabernacle by very specific means, not by idols, not by anything that would infringe on on their worship. The Israelites are to be separate people, separate from the nations around them. They weren't supposed to intermingle in marriage and they weren't supposed to follow their idols and their gods. They had to maintain a a ritual purity within their nation. They could only eat certain kinds of food. And when it came to sicknesses, they would become unclean if they touched a sick person or a dead person, and especially with sicknesses such as leprosy. They had to clean their clothes. They had to clean their houses. And if the person himself was sick with leprosy, he had to be expelled from the community. He had to live outside of the city. It indicates how, how sin has to be banished from God, uh, from the sight of God. Sin separates us from God. Sin is a, is a fault, is a blemish, is an uncleanness. And so even the, the priests in the religious um, services there, they, they had to be holy. They had to be set apart to the service of God. They had to wash in specific ways. They had to dress in specific ways. They had to do specific rituals. And all the sacrifices that they offered had to be without blemish and without spot in order to be sacrificed to God. And God said in Leviticus 11, verse 44, and He says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. For I am the Lord your God who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And so that carries over into New Testament where Peter says that we have to live as obedient children in 1 Peter 1. As he who has called you is holy, so also be you, you be holy in all your conduct. And he quotes Leviticus 11 there saying, be holy for I am holy. And so he's saying we also must become without fault like God because we are not able to approach God or stand before His throne without any fault or with any fault or blemish. And for the Israelites who who had to live this in a very physical way, they also had to experience this in, in, in a very severe way when they sinned. Very often, their transgressions were followed with the death penalty. They would either be killed by God directly or be stoned to death or have to be put to death because of their transgressions to to show, to impress upon them the holiness of God and the importance of being holy ourselves. And so as we think, see the New Testament now, the New Testament moves from more of a physical to a spiritual sense and the focus is on the moral purity of our hearts and our life, the character and conduct without fault, as Paul says in Philippians. We must be blameless. We must be harmless in the spiritual sense. And Paul says there that you may become blameless and harmless, the children of God, without fault. In Romans, 1, or Romans 12, he said, We are to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the question is then, how do we become faultless like God? And everything in the Old Testament, all that physical separation, all those sacrifices without blemish, everything pointed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we see, thirdly, how this applies to the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That holiness, that, that faultlessness is provided for you in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. That holiness of God Himself is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could say Christ is the holiness of God in man. All that holiness, all that moral purity, all that separation from sin, all that being without fault is encased here in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb without blemish. That, that physical condition of, of all the, the Lamb that was to be offered, it pointed to the spiritual condition of Christ. When the Israelites had to offer their Passover Lamb in Exodus 12, it said, your lamb must be without blemish, free from defect. It must be perfect. And it showed how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be that perfect sacrifice without blemish. And so He bears that same holiness, that same moral purity, that same blamelessness of God. And that's what Hebrews said. Hebrews 7 verse 26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, that is morally pure, who is harmless, without fault, undefiled, there is no fault, no, no, no moral tainting, and He's separate from sinners. And so Christ is the Holy One of God, born without sin, because He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He didn't inherit the, the fallen and corrupt nature of of man from Adam, but he was born of, of Mary, still a, a full human being. But he had the Holy Spirit without measure. He had the Holy Spirit of God without any limit. And he had no sin, because he had no inclination to sin from his own heart, even though he was tempted in every way. And so he lived that morally pure and separated life from all sin without fault. And how then does that apply to us? Well, God, because God calls us to that same holiness, to that same purity, and to become children of God without fault. Scripture even says that God chooses and saves sinners for the specific purpose to become holy and without blame. We read that in Ephesians 1. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And so God chooses sinners for the purpose to, in order that you will become holy and without blemish, without blame. And how are we to become holy? Well, Christ is the one who washes away our faults. We are filled with faults. He, you are redeemed, He says, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that He made on the, on the cross. And Peter says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
And Paul, that's, that word Peter uses without blemish means the same thing, without fault. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And so he was sent to be the man without fault because we have faults. Christ came to live a perfect life be, without fault because of our fault-filled lives. And Christ was offered that perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice without fault, to pay for our sins. Because if Christ had any faults, if He had any sins Himself, He would not be able to pay for the sins of any others. But now Hebrews 9 says, How much more then shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If all that external purity and those sacrifices in the Old Testament that were used to approach God in a symbolic way, how much more access do we have now through the blood of Christ, which cleanses our hearts in a spiritual sense? Not just a ritual purity, but a moral purity to which the Old Testament pointed. And here we learn that those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that moral purity of the Lord Jesus becomes yours. It is imputed to you. That means it is credited to your account. When, when the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is credited to you, God sees you without fault. Your faults are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness covers you, and, and God sees you without fault because of the Lord Jesus Christ's perfection. And that is how you are accepted by God and into His holy presence. But God also calls us to become without fault in this life and provides the same Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus had in, in, in this life. Because even when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, you're justified by faith, you're seen of God without fault, and yet we are not free from sin in our hearts, yet we are still filled with faults. And that's why Paul here, he exhorts us to say that to work out that salvation now, that we are to work out the sanctification, this moral purifying of our hearts and life in every area of our life, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. But He also provides that Holy Spirit to work that in you. And Peter says we must do this diligently, relying on His Spirit. He says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace, without spots and without blameless. Because the purpose is that you will be found at the final judgment of God when you meet Him face to face in eternity, when we leave this time and enter eternity to stand before a holy God, that we will be found faultless in Him. Your desire is to be found and to dwell with God forever, to, to abide in His presence forever. And here it says that one day the church of Christ will be presented without spot, without fault, without sin, Ephesians 5 verse 27 says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Your hope is to see God and to be made like Christ. That means without sin forever, without fault forever. 
And John says, whoever has that hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If that hope is in you, if your desire is to see God, then your desire is also to be without fault even now in this world and to be working towards that by His Spirit. But in order to do so, God also keeps us by His Holy Spirit in order to present us faultless on that day. That's what Jude 24 says, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Who alone can keep us from fault? It is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is Him that is able to keep you from falling. It is God's Spirit alone who can keep us from from faults and from falling into sin. It's God who alone in Jesus Christ washes us clean from all the faults we already have. And it's His Spirit that is given to transform our minds in our hearts and our lives, to become holy, to become blameless. But what Jude says here, with exceeding joy. And what an exceeding joy and thought that is, what a blessing that is, that in this world, he says, you are becoming, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without fault, that now we're called to be diligent and faithful in this, knowing that God alone can enable us and keep us. But then, then one day it will turn from becoming to you shall be, where you will be presented without fault before Him. One day there will be that complete separation from all evil in this world, where you'll be made like Christ, your high priest. When you are made like Him, you'll be, as He says, who is holy, who is morally pure, who is harmless, that is without any fault, undefiled, no, no moral faults, and separate from sinners. Then to be eternally separated from all sinners, His people taken to heaven, and all sinners cast into the lake of fire. But there you will dwell eternally, beyond time, where time can no longer change you, where you dwell with the unchanging God, your Father in heaven, who remains without fault forever and ever, who always was without fault. You'll be made without fault as the children of God to become like your heavenly Father, perfect and without sin. And then you'll be able to sing His praises forever. We need to think on these verses that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. That even now, we may live with that joy and expectation that through Him, He is making you blameless and harmless and without fault. And the very evidence of sonship is that this work is in you now. That your very joy and expectation is that no matter what we face in this world, we know that one day that separation will be final. When now it is so impossible, it seems, to be separate from sin, to be without fault, and yet then to be forever without fault, to be forever like Him, 
to be forever with Him in the presence of a, a holy God who cannot even look upon sin, but then to be without fault in the presence of His holiness and to be made like Him. Let this be our thought and focus also this week as you anticipate the Lord's Supper the next week. Amen.